Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move and to have your way, that you would would speak to our hearts. We just desire you. We just desire what you want to say. There's, There's so many things being said in the world. There's so many There's so many ways of looking at things. We just want to hear the voice from heaven. We want to hear your still, small voice. We want to look into your word. And we want to hear what you're saying to your body. We want to hear you. We know that you want to speak to us more than we want to hear. So we just just open up our hearts. We just open up our minds. I I pray for ears to hear and a heart to receive what you desire to say to us today, today, that you would give us this day our daily bread, (laughs) not just in the natural, but spiritually. We just give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, do not let me forget to do announcements and stuff at the end. I just would rather do them at the end. (laughs) All right, where's my paper? There it is. So, um, where to start, where to start, where to start? You know, life is short. (laughs) Death tends to remind us that life is short, whether we want it to or not. You know, last, last evening, I lost my grandmother, and, you know, I was just talking with my dad. You know, we called. It was a really short conversation both times. And even though the passing is sad, that, that, that there's that grieving, we don't grieve like the world <laughs> who has no hope. We don't grieve like the world. And I'll be honest with you, yesterday I said, Lord, I have more peace today, speaking of yesterday, than I've had in a long time. In the natural, I should have been without peace. I should have been like, oh, I can't, I can't share tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can't, I can't share You know, Jesus would say things that on face value, they seemed harsh. And Jesus said, hey, speaking to a man, he said, you follow me. And he said, oh, well, I think it was his father that just passed away or somebody really, really close in his family. Oh, he just passed away. I need to go bury him. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, we would look at that and say, Jesus, that's, that's really harsh. Why would you say that? Why would you say let the dead bury their own dead? He's simply saying that, that, that those that, that are maybe spiritually dead, let them bury the dead of the natural. But you, right now, in this moment, I have something for you to do, and I'm asking you to follow me, and I realize that it will cost you something. I realize it's costly, but I'm asking you to do this. Now, that may look different for all of us. Just because that verse in the Bible doesn't mean that God's saying, look, you know, do what God has you to do. If somebody dies in your family, don't bury them. That's not what it's saying. He's saying that, I'm call- that in that moment, he was calling him to sacrifice something for the kingdom's sake. So today, that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about. 
I'm going to be talking about why we're here and the cost of following Jesus, the cost of being a disciple. All right, so I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to start and I'm just going to believe, Holy Spirit, you're just going to lead this thing because I know that it is not the most popular topic. You know, I, I was thinking, how many times have I heard a, a message on suffering for Christ's sake? And I was like, okay, let me think really hard here. It's probably zero. I mean, I'm pretty sure it might have been, uh, the verse might have been mentioned or something, but the message kind of didn't include a nice amount about it. But as I started to really look, I'm like, my goodness. Jesus, you're talking a lot about counting the cost. You're talking a lot about suffering for your namesake. You're talking a lot about picking up my, my, our cross, not his cross, but our cross, and following after him. You're talking a lot about, look, if you don't deny this and this and this and this and come and follow me, you're not worthy of me. And I'm like, Jesus, that sounds harsh. I know in my heart <laughs> that this is what you're saying. I read it. I believe it. But sometimes we can get so comfortable that we only want to hear what speaks to our comfort. We don't necessarily want to hear what brings us out of that comfort zone, all right? So let's just, let's just go to the Word and just look at, just look at some stuff. First, I want to start kind of talking about purpose. We know that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we know that our, our primary purpose here in the earth is really to make disciples. Now, that's broad when we say make disciples, but I really want to come back to this at the end because if I just say go and make disciples, all right, and then our concept of what does a disciple look like maybe is the, you know, maybe the 2018 version of what that looks like. And not really what Jesus is saying the cost of a disciple is. Then we may end up making something that Jesus wouldn't necessarily label a disciple. We may make converts. We may make people who pray to prayer. But we may have numbers but the life that comes from that is the true test of whether or not we're a disciple. So why are we here? Three things. First, now there's more, okay, but I really believe that these three are about as succinct as you can get them. We're to make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18, let's just look there really quick. I really want my Bible. I don't want to use a, a com, uh, what is this, an iPhone? Just feels like I can get to it almost as fast. Or not. Man, you realize that Bible pages are really thin when you're trying to get to that one page. You go over it and behind it. and All right, so. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. So, one, we're here to make disciples and everything that that entails. We're here to love one another as Christ has loved us. So Jesus says, a new command I give to you, not just, not, don't just love them as you would love yourself. Don't just love your neighbor as you would love yourself. I give you a greater command than even that. I'm asking you to love each other as I have loved you. So he takes it even deeper. All right. So again, the purpose is going to build up to the point where we look at the cost. All right. And lastly, we're here to literally bring the kingdom of God to earth. That, that Jesus walked around and he would say, the kingdom is among you. Like, the kingdom's here. Not that it's just there, but literally, I am bringing the kingdom. Where I am, I'm bringing it. He could get up, read out of Isaiah 61 and say, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're to make disciples of all nations. And in so doing, in all that, we're to bring the kingdom of God to this earth like Jesus did. We're to look like him, smell like him, talk like him, walk like him, love like him. Before we get into the, the aspect that we're really going to talk a lot about, I want us to read Mark 16. This this ties in with going. I'll start in 14. Mark 16, 14. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe. It's Mark 16, 14, the last bit of the whole book. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he was risen. And he had said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay, on, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So again, succinctly, I think, I think those three things really speak to a great deal of our purpose for why we're here. What does is, what is the rest of my life look like? What, what's the gauge that I should gauge the rest of my life by? My purpose. Why am I here? As a Christian, I, I really want us to just look at those things. And we'll probably revisit them in a second, but I, I, for time's sake, I want to I wanna get on to the second part. I want us to look at a parable. Let's go to Matthew 13. Familiar parable. We're actually going to look at two of them. They're back to back. Matthew 13, starting in verse 44. Now, obviously, if, if you read the Gospels, you realize Jesus spoke a lot in parables. And there's a lot that you can get from a parable, but you don't want to take it too literally. <laughs> All right? And I'll just, I don't, don't want to go into too much detail, but... 
just parables 101. All right, so Jesus says again, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. As I was reading this, I, I thought of um, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And basically, it goes like this, that he comes and he says, Good teacher, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, you know, why do you call me good, for only God is good. And then he kind of goes into a little discourse with him. But I want us to look at that really quickly. The, uh, it's in Luke, I believe it's Luke, um, where are we at? <laughs> well, let's find it together. <laughs> Luke, I believe 10, let's see. Somebody finds it before me, let me know. It's, or maybe it's Luke 19, I think that's Luke 19. Thought I had it written down. Where is it? Anyways, we'll, we'll just go through it. So he, it says that he looks at him, and it said that he loved him, or that he had compassion on him. And then he says, you, you're lacking this one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, obviously, we know that that verse is not Jesus saying to all of us, we need to sell everything that we have, give it to the poor, and then follow him. But there's an aspect of it, I believe, that's applicable to all of us. All right? So, if we look at the parable of the treasure in the field, we look at the parable of the pearl of great price, all right? And then we look at the rich young ruler and what Jesus said to him. This is basically what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to go. I want you to sell everything that you have. And I want you to come and purchase the treasure in the field. I want you to give up everything that you have. It's going to be costly. I want you to empty yourself, and I want you to follow me. And it says that he went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. And what this tells me is that he in his heart judged one of two things. He judged the wealth that he had and the possessions that he had as greater than the treasure in the field because he didn't see the value. He didn't see the value of following Jesus. He didn't see the value of listening to literally the kingdom of God, the, the incarnate person of the kingdom of God, literally standing in, his, in front of him, talking to him. The treasure was right there, and he's staring at it, speaking to it. And instead of for joy purchasing the whole field just to have the treasure, he goes away sorrowful because he was rich. He had great wealth. He had lots of possessions. 
there's a cost. There's a cost. Jesus isn't concerned with our comfort. We are. We tend to be. I am from time to time. But he is always wanting to call us out of the boat. <laughs> He's always wanting to call us onto the waters. And it's not calm waters. <laughs> See, but it's, it's that we can walk on waters that are rough. It's not that he just calls us into calm things or he just calls us into an oasis. No, he calls us into desert places. But he wants to be our source in the midst of them. All right? So let's look at some other things that, that Jesus kind of talked about as far as it related to, to the cost of being a disciple. I want to start in Luke 14. I'm not going to go through all of these. I mean, it's, it's obviously quite extensive, but Luke 14 26. So let's start in 25. So Jesus looks around and he sees that there's great multitudes of people following him. And he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he talks about counting the cost. Let's read it. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not first sit down and consider whether he, whether he can go against him with 20,000, with only 10,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, we know he's not necessarily speaking about the natural. He's speaking about the cost of truly following after Jesus. The cost. And I find it interesting, as I was reading... Directly after he says this, this isn't another chapter, this is just the next verse, salt is good. But if salt loses its savor, how then can it be salt? How, how then can you add its saltiness back to it? It's good for nothing. And I said, well, I've never really read that in context before. He had just gotten unfinished talking about a disciple counting the cost, if you want to follow me. If you want to follow me, count the cost. Don't, don't, don't try and build something you don't have money to finish. Don't try and go to war, fight a battle, and you don't have the men to do it. Count the cost. Salt is good. But if salt loses its savor, it's not good anymore. What are you going to do with it? Throw it out. It's not even good for the dung heap, it says. There's accounting for us. What happens when in our walk... All right? I don't want to go down this road too far, okay? But I just want to take a step in it, okay? For someone who's like, yeah, I'll follow you. And then they're like, oh, this is, this is too costly. This, I, I can't do that. I didn't know. That. 
Nobody told me that this is what this was going to be like. I have to suffer for his name's sake? I have to pick up a cross and follow after you? This, I, I'm, I'm out. Saltless salt. No savor. Let's look at Philippians 129. You know, the, the word says that, and this is in a different verse, it says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever really understand that verse. I, I know what it's saying, but doesn't doesn't really fully click, to be honest with you. I say, well, if, if he learned obedience to the things that he suffered, then, you know, there's probably a little more suffering needed in my life to learn that level of obedience, you know, if I'm honest. Philippians 2, small paper. Oh, there we are. Okay. 129. It says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his namesake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul, speaking of suffering, okay, so now he's saying, okay, it's been granted to you to suffer for his namesake. And in Acts, in Acts 5.40, the apostles are before the Sanhedrin and they're flogged, beaten, for speaking in the name of Jesus. And it says that they, they left rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his namesake. Hmm? Suffering. Yay. Rejoicing, jumping, leaping, singing songs. Why am I saying all of this? Well, one, I feel like this is what the Holy Spirit really has for us. I, I feel like there's a, not the cornerstone, that's Jesus, but, but a stone in the foundation that God's just wanting to place there so that the whole building that he wants to build can be built upon it. Does that make sense? Foundations aren't necessarily pretty. We, you know, you say, that's a nice house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You say, oh, I like that house. I like the inside. I like the outside. Nice garage. Ooh, look at the massive pond they have with the deck and all. You know what I'm saying? But we don't say, oh, wow, look at that foundation. It is such a nice foundation. Unless you specialize in making foundations. <laughs> then you're like, oh, wow, this is really done. The brickwork is just amazing. And, you know. But other than that, it's a foundation. But it's so necessary. <laughs> That beautiful house would be a not beautiful house after a very small amount of time if the foundation is, is bad, all right? I'm not saying that we have a bad foundation. I'm just saying God's wanting to put a stone in. That's all I'm saying. So it may not be the prettiest stone, <laughs> but it serves its purpose, all right? So let's just, let's just receive. And I know that we have this heart to receive what he wants to say to us, but let's just receive it, Amen. In 1 Peter, it says, for to this you were called. Let's, let's go there. 
For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. 1 Peter 2, 19. 1 Peter 2, 19. For, for this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering, suffering wrongfully. Now, this actually takes a step outside of being, suffer, uh, being persecuted or suffering for Christ. This is just in general. This is just in general. We may say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's just if I'm suffering for Christ's namesake. But if not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm ready to, we're going to fight. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to repay evil with evil. All right? So, again, let's look back at it. For it's commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief in general, suffering wrongfully in general. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. We were called. <laughs> it's almost hard to say. <laughs> we were called to suffering. Yeah. <laughs> we learn it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's good. It says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But... He committed himself to him who judges righteously. I want to read a couple more verses and then we're going to kind of tie it all up. Let's read 1 Peter 4.14 since we're already here. Just go to the next page most likely. 1 Peter 4.14, right? 1 Peter 4, oh, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 4.12 to 19. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but <laughs> rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But, but let one of you suffer, not suffer, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, a person in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God be? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I want us to add context to suffering, so let us look at Hebrews 13.3. Hebrews 13.3. Actually, let's start in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so you have unwittingly entertained angels. Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Another version says, remember those who are suffering, those who are in chains, as though you were there with them. I think the reason why we tend not to ever really talk much about suffering is because we really really don't go through much of it here, if we're honest. But that's no excuse (laughs) for us. Because he's saying, at the very least, remember those who are suffering, those who are in other countries, those who they say, hey, I believe in Jesus, and the family says, you're no son of mine. You're no daughter of mine. Leave now and don't come back. I I never want to see your face again. Jesus said this, don't think that I've come to bring peace on the earth but a sword to set mother against son, father against son, against mother-in-law. And what that's speaking of is, is to set them or to alienate them from each other. Does that make sense in this context? To say, I've come not to bring peace but a sword because it's costly it's costly. Saying yes costs. And then walking out that yes costs even more. You know, doing youth ministry for a couple of years, <clears throat> one thing that um, one thing that I see in general, I would say just maybe youth in America, church youth in America, and even myself, how I approach it is that we tend, we tend to, we, we tend to preach a Jesus that doesn't cost anything, if I'm honest. 
we tend to preach a Jesus that's going to keep us safe and sound, secure. We'll have stuff, money, cars, clothes, the house, everything. And it's, it's not that his heart isn't for us to have stuff. Again, the heavens are his throne, the earth's the place he puts his foot, the earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Stuff is not a problem for him to have. We own it all anyways as heirs with Christ. The problem is the focus on is all is the focus is the problem is when the focus is all on stuff now. Let's I want us to read one thing. This probably be the last thing. We may read one more thing after this. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. If I can, I'll just say it from memory. Let's look at Matthew 10. I didn't put a note by, but I think that's where it's at. I try, I try to only say what, from memory what I can be true to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't want to get over here and say something. It's like, I uh, did not say that. You, you intended well, but I mean... <clears throat> Nope, that's not it. <laughs> this is Christ brings division. So any of you, uh, Matthew 10, uh, 34, if any of you wanted to know where it says, do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother. And then he goes, goes through that. So for any of you that wanted that, that verse, it's Matthew 10, 39. But basically, the verse I was looking for is Jesus is saying, you know, everyone who's left lands, family, who's basically given up everything to follow after me, that, that there's a reward that you'll receive a hundred times over. And he's not necessarily speaking of this life. I believe that there's things that he wants us to receive in this life, but he's speaking eternally. He's trying, he's so trying to get our minds off of the temporal and really live from heaven so that we can really bring heaven he wants us to really see what he's seeing, seeing this expanse of time that has no end so that we're able to live for this moment the way he would have us to. Did Matthew 19, 29. Thank you. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. <laughs> my heart is that, that we would count the costs of discipleship, that that even me, I mean, I, I've been, this has been stirring in me for a year, even as it relates to youth, really more so as it relates to youth, that communicating to them in such a way that they realize that there's a cost. I remember I was talking to one youth <clears throat> after I've been kind of saying some stuff, you know, the past few months, and he came to me and he was like, you know, we've got it good. <laughs> like, 
you know, I come home, like, everything's done for me, kind of. I mean, maybe I have to do this or take out the trash or whatever, but, I mean, my life is, is pretty good. I don't really, you know, I, I don't think we really are willing to kind of surrender. You know, I don't think most youth are really ready to surrender to Jesus. He's like, it, it costs. Like, there's a, there's a it, it costs, and there was two things that immediately came up in my heart, all right? One was, all right, well, you need to realize that you're also in sin, all right? So we'll talk a little more about that. The second part was I said, hmm, he's realizing that there's a cost. He's realizing that there's a cost. He's not just going to say, yes, let's pray the prayer. All right, we're good. And then say, oh, wait a second, this is not what I signed up for. I'm good. You know, there were people that were following Jesus, following Jesus. Then he, like, turns around and is like, okay, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. They're like, deuces, we're gone. <laughs> like, it was good up until then. It got really weird, and now I'm gone. <clears throat> so there's that element in me that's like, okay, that's good. Count, I mean, there, he, he tells us, count the cost. Count them. Would he rather we say, oh, no cost, start it. Get halfway done building the tower, can't finish. Or to initially say, that's costly. And the Holy Spirit brings us to a point where we say, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Help me, Holy Spirit. I, I, I see that it's costly. I see that you're, you're asking me to give up everything for you. That you're asking me to surrender my life. That, that you be Lord, not me. I, I, I want to follow you. I think he'd rather the second. I think. <sighs> well, let's end with <laughs> the, the verse I read initially. Romans 8. Starting in verse, let's see, we'll do 18. You know, so Paul is speaking to a persecuted church. I mean, almost all his letters are to persecuted churches. <laughs> you know, they're, they're acquainted with suffering in the natural, whether it's for Christ's sake or just suffering in general. And I, I, I noticed even when I was reading that he doesn't really... How can I say this? He just gives them perspective that's beyond the way we would have perspective of it in the flesh. I don't know how else to say it. He gives them perspective of suffering. When in the natural, it's like, you punch me, I punch you back. And Jesus is like, oh, turn the cheek. And we're like, I don't do that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, in the natural, you don't. No, you don't. You're right. You don't. I'm asking you to do something that requires you to live from a different place they steal something from you, we'll give them something else. And you're like, this, what are you saying? <laughs> this, this is not a natural thing. I have insurance, okay? <laughs> like, insurance against thieves, all right? So, not only am I going to get my money back, but I want my stuff back too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's just calling us. He's giving us a different perspective, all right, for life. The world has a perspective that tends to agree with our flesh. 
God is not concerned with agreeing with our flesh at all. In fact, you know, if we read in Romans, it says that, you know, it talks about the difference between being carnally minded and spiritually minded. And, you know, you can't please God in the one. And I'll let you guess which one it is. <laughs> being carnally minded. You know, only, only living according to the spirit can we please him. So anyways, uh, Romans 8, 18. Again, context. Persecuted church. In general. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, Paul was convinced, well, Paul also suffered a lot, whether it was being shipwrecked or beat or flogged or, you know, whatever, left for dead. You know, it's, he got to the point where he was like, you know, I think he ends it with like, you know, Time's more numerous to count, basically. Like, I don't even, it's been a lot, you know. But there's that thing saying, to this you were called. To this we were called to suffer for his namesake. And even if it's not for his namesake, again, we read where it speaks of, hey, if you suffer for doing wrong, well, that's not commendable. You did wrong. You, <laughs> but if you do right and you suffer for doing right, then that's commendable before God. <laughs> I know this is a hard word. It's a hard word for me. You know, it's been stirring for a while. But, again, I really feel like the Lord is, is wanting to put just a stone in place in our hearts, in, 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 that, in that building that he wants to build up. It's a necessary stone. Because what happens is if this stone is not in place, if this stone's missing, when winds come, when persecution comes, when suffering comes, or even, even when it's just suffering and it's not for the namesake of Christ, how we respond is going to be dependent on a stone that's missing. How the house stands, how it holds up, is going to be based on a piece of the foundation missing. And it's got to be based on what the Word says. Not what our flesh says, not what the world says, but what, what does the Word say? What what has he spoken to us? What is the Spirit saying consistently through the New Testament, whether it be through Jesus or through Paul or through Peter? <laughs> Father God, we just thank you. <laughs> we thank you that you suffered first for us. And you've given us, you've given us an example to follow. So we just say, Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. We just, we say that, that we are going to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple. And not just for our own sakes, but for those that you would have us to pour into. For those that you would have us to disciple. For those that you would have us to reach out to. Holy Spirit, that, that you would show us what does that look like? What does that look like? I, I know we're saying it. We, we've read it. <laughs> but help us, Holy Spirit, as only you can, to embrace this aspect of what it means to follow after you. For ourselves, for our family members, for our kids, for spouses, 
for our nation, for us as a body? That, 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 that we would bear each other's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. That, 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 that we say, hey, maybe we don't even know what's going on around in the world as far as it relates to persecution of Christians. So we read Hebrews and we're like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know. How, how, do I, how do I remember, you know, either those that are in chains or those that are suffering? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just stir us to even see, okay, this is what's going on in the world. This is what's going on in the world. And they're just as much a part of the body as the body here in America. Y'all can open your eyes. I, I wrote down, if I can find it. I wrote down that a body, a body is only as healthy as the unity among it. When this isn't necessarily talking to this part of it or it doesn't care about what this part's doing, then there's a level of it's not healthy. And I really felt like part of this message is that stone being put in place, but another part of it is to say, hey, look at what I'm doing in the world. You know, just take your eyes off of Tifton and you maybe our own personal lives for a second and and just go past America and, and look at what I'm doing in the world. That, amen? That, that they're just as much a part of the body as you are. Just as much. Just as necessary as you are. And I'm calling you to share in their suffering. I'm calling you to stand in prayer for them, to believe for them. Amen? Amen. So we just say, we'll do it, God. We'll do it. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've stirred this in us. You've, you've planted it, and its roots are going to go down deep, and it will produce a tree that will produce the fruit that you desire for it to, to, to produce, that, that it, will, it will reproduce according to its own kind. <laughs> in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Everybody said amen. Amen. Well, we receive that word, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, oh, announcements. I remembered. All right, so... One Life groups are going to meet this week. This is the last week. And then we have um, a two-week break. So the first two weeks of April, we won't be having One Life groups through, through the week. That includes youth. Now, if you guys want to do something on your own, I mean, that's up to you. But I'm just saying, kind of officially, we're not going to have um, One Life groups the first two weeks of April. So this upcoming week, yes. First two weeks of April, no. Um... Just going off of what we talked about last week, if anyone has a need, all right, let us know. Let an elder know. Let Miss Laurel know. If you see a pastor, let pastor know. Miss April, meet somebody. Let us know. And again, last week we talked about, like, physical needs. Like, I cannot pay my light bill. It's about to get shut off. We have no food. Like, if you have a need, let us know. We want to be able to meet that need, okay? Um, we took, I mean, we, we had set aside... Uh, either all or a large portion of last week's tithe for that very purpose. So we want to really be able to, to meet needs that we just have in the body, all right? And then I wanted to just ask, were there any testimonies that came up from last week? I know a, 
there's a couple people I know that kind of went out and kind of took some money and did some stuff, and they're not here. So I'm just, I'm just asking if there's anything that anybody had from last week that they just kind of wanted to share that they kind of walked in either. Yes, ma'am. Here, let's get the mic to you real quick. Uh, we went to dinner, or to lunch, rather, and uh, our waitress was very good, and we tipped her well. And then at the, after I, she come got the ticket, and I said, uh, is there anything that we can help you pray with? She said, oh, yes. She said, I'm making a big move. She said, I'm going from here, and I believe she said Savannah. And I'm going to go, and I've got to set everything up, and I'm going to school. So she said, I would appreciate if you prayed for us, for me, rather. So. Amen. It was. It was. I mean, it, so um, the last two weeks, Pastor was talking about, you know, sometimes we, we look at things and we look at the small. We look at them as small. We look at them as being mundane when in reality they're not. And it's, it, it's just as simple as, hey, can I pray for you? They're like, yeah, or sure, I'd love for you to pray for me. I mean, it may be no, but normally people don't say no, normally. So I just encourage you, just, you know, allow the Lord to just continue. Yes. Dana? Okay, sweet. All right, well, if we don't have anything else, God bless y'all, and have a great week, and we just... We send you out. Suffer for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Suffer for Jesus. Amen. Love y'all.